If you have not opened your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians, uh, please do so. We're going to be in chapter 12, uh, 27 through chapter 13, verse 3, as Steph read for us. And one of the truly great TV shows of our generation, at least in my opinion, is The Amazing Race. Um, Some of you may be fans of the show. Even if you've never really watched it, I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's been on TV for over 20 years. And the premise of the show is that uh, roughly 11 or 12 teams of two uh, travel all over the globe uh, trying to go from destination to destination while completing a number of challenges. And what's fun about watching that show is seeing, hey, who can actually complete the challenges? Who can make it from point A to point B uh, all throughout the globe and finally win this race? That, that is, in and of itself, fun to watch. But really what makes it compelling TV is watching the relational dynamics between the teams. And typically these teams are made up of people who are best friends or maybe siblings or spouses or coworkers. And so you get to see the strengths and weaknesses of those relational dynamics come out. And that is fun to see as they are trying to overcome these challenges. And one of the themes of the show year after year is that each team, while they recognize, hey, we want to accomplish this goal by winning this race, what they begin to see is something deeper and something greater as actually happening, usually, is a deepening of relationship, a strengthening of a bond. And I say usually because if you've watched the show, sometimes you're like, I don't know if that relationship's going to last after the show is over. <laughs> but usually what happens is these teams, win or lose, is they realize, hey, our, this relationship was strengthened. Something bigger than just winning a race took place. Yeah, winning would be great, but this deeper bond, this deeper love, this deeper trust, that's even greater. Pursuing the win, yes, yes, we're doing that. But pursuing a deeper relationship and deeper trust, that's even greater. And it's not surprisingly, the teams that most get that typically do the best. As we continue our conversation about spiritual gifts and all this talk and reflection about spiritual gifts, church, look, we're after something here. There's a goal that we are chasing. We want to see the diversity of gifts used at First City. We want to see our body grow and be healthy and strengthened because every member, every part is connected and is being used. We want to see the body grow here. We want to see the gifts thrive and flourish here at First City Church. We're not talking about these things just hypothetically. Well, we're not doing just an intellectual exercise here. This is discipleship. This is growth. We're pursuing something. We're after something. But we're after something more than just exercising gifts. There's something greater going on here than just whether or not all the diversity of gifts are happening at First City and we're, we're, we're able to, everyone's able to find a place to exercise their gifts. Something more is happening here. As 1 Corinthians 12 has pointed us to over and over again, while we want to see gifts be used, we also want to see the body built up. We want to see unity strengthened. We want to see encouragement of one another in the gifts happening more and more. Pursuing the gifts, yes, but we're after something even greater in all of this conversation, all of this discussion of the gifts. And so the title of my message this morning is The Great Pursuit. And here's the main point from this passage for us. Pursue gifts, but even more pursue love. 
pursue gifts, but even more, pursue love. And so as we see in the last several verses of chapter 12, uh, Paul once again is he's driving, point this, driving home this point of unity in diversity. There's one body, but many parts. As he writes in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. So there is unity. You are the body, one body of Christ. It's, it's the one body that he spoke of earlier in chapter 12, verse 12. And there is also a diversity. There's individual members of this body. There, there are individual members. There's a variety of gifts that are present in the body and are being used in the body. So there's unity and diversity. He's once again clarifying and emphasizing. And then he goes on to list these variety of gifts and roles in verse 28. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, various kinds of tongues. And just as we saw earlier in this chapter, in verses 8 through 10, Paul isn't necessarily trying to unpack what all these gifts mean, but he's just emphasizing the diversity. There's a whole range here. This is a whole range that is to be exercised in the church, a diversity of gifts exercised by these individual members. And then Paul drives his point home by asking a series of questions in verses 29 through 30. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The question he's posing here is, does everyone have the same gift? Everyone have the same role? And the answer is obviously no. No, not everyone has the same gift. Not everyone has the same role. So what is the implication here? You shouldn't expect to have every gift. You shouldn't expect that, that only one particular gift will exist in the church or only one particular gift is needed. And that's good and that's okay. And so what he's pressing on the church is to understand, hey, look, it's good and it is fine that you don't have every gift. That doesn't mean that you don't have a place. That doesn't mean that you just sit back in the corner and there's no place for you in the body if you don't have particular gift or all the gifts. No, the diversity is good and we should lean into that. Also, diversity is good, meaning don't be prideful of the gift you have because someone else doesn't have it. Just because you have a particular gift and someone else doesn't, doesn't mean that they're not needed in the body. It doesn't mean that you're the only part of the body, the only part that is needed. This diversity is there. The reason the answer is no, do all do this, do all have this particular gift, is so that we would see we need each other. Like we absolutely need each other. We absolutely need all the gifts. Every part connected, every part needed. And so what we fight against then, we fight against, as we talked about last week, is the bad body image of self-pity and self-sufficiency. We push against this notion that because I don't have a particular gift, I'm not connected to the body or I'm not needed. We push against self-sufficiency thinking because I have this gift, then I'm okay and I can um, sort of be self-sufficient on my own. Rather than that, what do we do? Well, we trust in how the Spirit has sovereignly distributed the gifts, as Paul said in verse 11. We rejoice and put confidence in how God has put the body together, as Paul said in verse 18. God knows what he's doing, church. Do you trust that? 
Do you trust that the Spirit knows in distributing gifts to the church, he knows what he's doing, that the way that the gifts have been given to First City Church, the gifts that you have and the gifts that other people have, that's wise and that is good. God knows what he's doing. We can trust that. And God's, God's word through the Apostle Paul gives us these truths to just inform us, just so we can kind of like go, okay, yeah, I get it, I get it. Not everybody has the same gifts. My gifts are different than others. Yes, my gift is needed. I shouldn't be prideful about this gift. Got it, done, let's move on. Is that why these truths are here? No, why are these truths here? So that you would use your gifts. These truths are here so that you would actually be active in the church using your gifts to build up the body of Christ. These truths are here so that we would be growing and building up the body, that we would be active, we would be pursuing using our gifts. These truths are here not so that we can just sort of sit on our hands, check the mental box that we get this theologically, but so that we would be active in allowing the Spirit to use us. We would trust God's power in our lives to use our gifts. And so here's the question. In light of what God has shown us in 1 Corinthians 12, are you using your gifts? Are you pursuing using your gifts? Or are you sitting on your hands? In light of all this truth about the diversity, in light of the fact that God's word has said, hey, I've gifted you and your gift is needed, what is your response? Sitting on your hands or pursuing using your gifts, trusting the Lord and trusting the Spirit. That's why these truths are here, church, so that we would pursue using gifts. We should also, as Paul says in verse 31, pursue or desire the greater gifts. What does this mean? I mean, didn't Paul just get done saying, hey, the Spirit has sovereignly given gifts as he pleases. God has arranged the body as he desires. And now, pursue gifts? Like, I, I can, I, I sort of have a say in this or there, there's something for me to do here? Yes. Well, how does that work? Well, look, it's a both and. It's a both and. I mean, consider prayer. Is God sovereign in bringing about his will in the world? Yes, absolutely. I hope you believe that. That God sovereignly works his will and his power in this world, independent of us in some ways. But are we also called to pray and to do and to work and to respond? Do we not have responsibility in this? And do we not play an active role in this? Yes, it's a both and. Or think about your growth in godliness. Is that a work of the Spirit? Yes, absolutely, dependent on the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. But are we also not called to work out our salvation in fear and trembling? Are we not also called to take action and be active in the habits of grace so that we might grow in godliness? Absolutely, it's a both and. God sovereignly distributes gifts, but he also calls us to pursue the greater gifts both and. Now, if you go, well, that's kind of confusing. Maybe. But could it be that we want to make something either or, that God has made both and, because we are a little bit uncomfortable having to trust God with the uncertainty? Could it be that God is calling us to be active in pursuing certain gifts while trusting him and things might not go exactly as we think or expect or hope, and there's both of these dynamics playing out, 
And that requires faith, that requires trust, that puts us in some uncomfortable positions at times. And could it be that it just feels safer to live sort of in this either or? God calls us to pursue the greater gifts. Now, what does this mean? What is it that these, what are the gifts that we are supposed to be pursuing here? Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a couple weeks when we get into 1 Corinthians 14. But I want to just give you the overall principle of what this statement means, of the greater gifts. And so what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 14 is that Paul calls prophecy a greater gift than tongues. And why does he do that? Because prophecy more directly builds up the church. You see, while all gifts are necessary and needed, there are some gifts that more directly, more effectively, and more regularly build up the church and edify the body. And and that's whether just sort of by the nature of the gift itself or because of the particular needs in the church at the time. And so again, while all gifts are needed and important, some are considered greater because of how they more regularly, effectively, and directly build up the church. And so Paul is calling the church, hey, desire those gifts. Desire desire the gifts that are going to more directly and regularly and effectively build up the church. So, So what does this mean for us? Well, yes, you should consider how God has gifted you. How has God already gifted you? And you should look for those needs and those opportunities. You should consider how could I be used of the Lord based on how he's already gifted me. But at the same time, we don't just stand there and stop there. We're not limited to just the way that God has gifted us now in the current moment. It's not an either or, it's a both and. We also pursue, we desire these greater gifts. We prayerfully consider where are the more direct and regular ways that I can edify the body, I can help build up the church, and if I'm not gifted in those ways, then I should be praying, God, would you please gift me in those ways? As you see those opportunities arise, as you see the needs in the church for the more direct building up, and you're like, hey, I don't necessarily have those gifts, but I sense the Lord is calling me into that, I should pray, God, gift me, empower me. I want to build up and edify the church. And and so I want to be clear. I'm not saying that you have to fill every need and be all things to all people and that every time there there is a need and opportunity, it should be you that should fill that. Sometimes, hey, you need to let somebody else step into those responsibilities. You need to prayerfully discern those things. But there should always be an openness. There should always be an open-handedness. We should never be limited by, hey, I'm gifted this way. These are my gifts right now. And this is sort of, I box myself into this. No, there is a category here where we pursue greater gifts in order to edify the body. We ask God to gift us and equip us to meet certain practical needs. Because here's what my fear is, church. Here's how so many of us can live. And I know this because it's a temptation in my heart too. Like there's been plenty of things as, as being a pastor and planting this church where I'm like, God, that's not my gift. Why are you asking me to do that? I get the wrestle. God, you've gifted me in this way. Let me do that. Let me focus on that. And yeah, there are times where focusing and leaning into your strengths are good. But when we limit ourselves, when we say, I'm only going to do these things, here's what we're doing. We're saying spiritual gifts start from a place of self rather than building up the church. 
And I think this is how often we can live with our spiritual gifts. It starts from a place of self, meaning God's given me this, these gifts. He's gifted me in this way. And I need to look for opportunities to use these gifts. And if those doors aren't open, if those opportunities aren't there, I'm just going to sort of sit and wait until something happens. And so it's now it's on the church to create opportunities for me. Rather, as God's word says, start from a place of, I want to build up the church. I want to help the church grow. I want to help my brothers and sisters grow. And so in starting from this, instead of starting from this place of, hey, here's my gifting, where are the opportunities to use that gift? We start from this place. Hey, how can I build up the church? How can I be edifying the church? And if there's opportunities and there's doors and needs for me where I'm already gifted, then let me step into those. But if there are spots where I'm not gifted, what does it look like for me to say, God, give me those greater gifts? Give me those gifts that will help me more directly and regularly and effectively edify the church and build up the church based on what the needs are. That's an entirely different starting point. And this is where Paul is pressing and where he's going to press later in 14 is that we're desiring those gifts that more regularly edify the body. And so church, pursue gifts, yes, but don't limit yourself. Don't box yourself in. Don't start from a place of self. Start rather from a place of building up the church. And there is a beautiful example of how this has had this happen recently at First City Church. I want to I tell this story. Uh, a number of weeks ago, uh, my wife, Mindy, uh, needed someone to fill in for her at First City Kids. And so she reached out to a number of people, uh, including Heather McCauley. And Heather is an incredible servant in this church. She serves, uh, I mean, she has the gift of hospitality and care and service, and she'll tell you she loves serving behind the scenes. She told me, she goes, you know how you were talking a few weeks about people who might sort of work behind the scenes but really secretly want to be out in front? She's like, that's not me. I love being behind the scenes. Well, Mindy needed somebody to be the lead teacher in First City Kids, someone to teach, and that's very much not behind the scenes. That's out in front of people. And so there was a reluctance that she had to some degree. But here's what she did. She stepped into that need in faith, knowing that that was going to build up the church. Because look, there are fewer things in this church greater in building up the church than discipling our kids and teaching them about Jesus. And so she stepped into that need. And you know what happened? (laughs) God showed up. The Spirit gifted her and equipped her so that she was able to carry out that task, that ministry, to disciple those kids. And he did it the next week when she filled in again. A beautiful story of God's Spirit equipping one of our members to fill a need. That is desiring the greater gifts. Now, is Heather going to go speak at a women's conference next week? No. (laughs) Is she going to be, is she now running around, look, I want to be out front, put me out front. No. She still very much is wired to serve in those ways behind the scenes. That hasn't changed. But here's what she told me when I talked to her about it. She said she learned to trust the Lord. And now she has a greater willingness to step out in front when God is calling her to do those things, knowing that God will gift her and equip her in those moments. Confidence in the Lord's spirit, confidence in the Lord's power to equip and gift. To use the language of verse 31, She grew in her desire for the greater gifts. She grew in her desire to more regularly and directly and effectively edify the church where those needs are. And so, Heather, thank you for serving in that way and also teaching us 
also being an example. Um, and so thank you for that. It, it is, it's wonderful when we see these stories play out in First City, and I know Heather's story is not the only story. I know there are other stories in this church of that happening. And so church, yes, look for opportunities to serve in the ways God has already gifted you. Be proactive, pursue that. He's given you that gift for a reason. It's there to build up the church. So look for those opportunities, but don't limit yourself. Even more, don't limit the spirit. Don't limit the power of God in your life. Are there opportunities, are there needs that the Lord could be calling you into that don't meet your gifting and your strengths, and yet he's still calling you into it, trusting that he's going to give you the gift to meet those needs? I mean, church, what would, it, what would happen? I mean, what would happen in our culture, this culture of this church? How much would we grow? How much stronger would we be if we not only adopted this position of, hey, I want to pursue gifts. I want to, I want to use my gifts to edify the church, that, that we all had this proactive desire to do that. But not only that, we also looked for those opportunities and needs that might be outside our gifting, but we trusted the Spirit so much that we prayerfully considered entering in and even entered in. I mean, how much stronger would we be? How, how much more unified would we be? How much healthier would we be? Or how about this? Rather than just thinking about our own gifts and my, our own sense of how we're being used in the church, what if we started encouraging others? What if we started looking at others and go, hey, I've noticed that gift in you. I just want to encourage you to keep using it. I want to encourage you to keep stepping into those needs and serving the Lord in that way because God has gifted you in this way and he's blessing that. Or encouraging people, hey, I know that you're not gifted in this and it seems like the Lord could be calling you into that. How can I pray for you and encourage you to trust the Lord in that? What if we took our eyes off ourselves and started encouraging one another? How much stronger would we be, church? How much more healthy would we be? How much more unified would we be? How much more would there be a culture of honor in this church? How much more would each member be nurtured and cared for? How much more would the culture of self be less and a culture of let us build one another up in love in Christ be more? And so church, I want to say pursue gifts. Trust God's spirit at work in your life. Don't limit how he can work. Don't limit how you could be used to build up this church. Let us be active in pursuing these gifts. But even more, let us pursue love. As Paul goes on in verse 31, he says, but desire the greater gifts, so pursue that, and I will show you an even better way. So exercise your gifts, desire the greater gifts, build up the body, but there's something greater, something better, something more excellent, as some translations say, love. Greater than our gifts is our love. As Paul writes in 13, one through three, if I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So the Corinthians were enamored with the gift of speaking in tongues. Like that was the ultimate gift in their mind. That was the one that they all wanted to do. Why? Because the supernatural ability to speak a language you don't know, that is pretty cool. I mean, you think about if, if you can do that, if the Spirit has gifted you to do that, we're all going to go, wow, 
What a gift. What an amazing way that the Spirit has gifted that person. Also, I don't know how many of you speak angel, but to be able to supernaturally speak angel, I mean, as cool as it would to be, to be able to supernaturally speak a, another human language that you don't know, but to speak angel? If, if some of you were walking around speaking angel, I mean, we would go, hey, the Spirit's moving to that person. That is impressive. I mean, that is going to give you a sense of wow. And it's going to be, there's a sense of wow. The, the Spirit's really working in that person. That person is gifted in a special way. The Corinthians were excited about the gift of tongues. But Paul says, hey, you can have the most amazing gifts. You can speak supernaturally with a language that you don't know or multiple languages you know. Hey, you can even be able to speak with the angels by the power of the Spirit, a beautiful gift. But if you don't have love, here's what you're like. You're like somebody walking over and just pounding on a symbol. Like if I just came over here and just started pounding on this symbol, would any of you go, hey, keep doing that? That's a pleasant sound. Would you, would you keep that up? No. What are you going to do? You're going to say, stop it. <laughs> Why? Because the sound is going to be harsh and maybe harmful. And here's what happens when we exercise our gifts without love. Something that could be beautiful and life-giving becomes harsh and harmful, and everybody's telling you, shut up. Like, that is what happens when a gift, however amazing, is divorced of love. Paul goes on, hey, I could understand all prophecies and all mysteries and have all knowledge, meaning I could be able to plumb the depths of God's word and theology, even God himself. Like I can understand every prophetic word that's ever been uttered, like the greatest theological knowledge and theological wisdom. But if I don't have love, guess what? I am nothing. Even more, I could have the most incredible amount of faith like, you want me to pray for you because when I pray for you, stuff happens. Mountains get moved. People get healed. Like, financial difficulties overcome. People get set free from bondage. Like, when I pray, stuff happens. But if I do that and I do not have love, guess what? I am nothing. I could give away everything that I owned to the poor and needy to help them. The most sacrificial sort of move that I could make. Take all that I own. You who are in need, have it. I don't need it anymore. I want to give that to you. What service? We would all look at that and go, wow, that's really sacrificial. But what does Paul say? If I do that without love, I gain nothing. Empty. Empty gesture. Even more. How about this one? If I give my body over, meaning if I lay down my life for the faith as a martyr. Now, I don't think any of us expect to be martyrs in this life. But if we were to see somebody who would do that, people in other nations that are being persecuted, when we see a martyr lay down their life, when we've seen that in history, we go, wow, what faith, what sacrifice, what obedience, even in the face of death, that, that they gave their body over. And yet Paul says this, if I do that and I don't have love, I gain nothing. Church, don't miss what Paul is saying here. The greatest gifting, the greatest knowledge, the greatest service, the greatest sacrifice, all are nothing and empty without love. It all means nothing. It's all empty. What a profound statement. Yes, pursue gifts, but even more pursue love. 
And this is so important. This is so important for us, church, because listen, our culture and our world, here's what they do. They measure value and worth by things like gifting and skill and accomplishment and recognition. And if we're not careful, so often we allow that to pollute how we understand using our gifts. It affects how we understand using our gifts. And so what ends up happening is we see using our gifts as an outlet for us to feel better about ourselves, an outlet for us to try to gain value and worth in the church. And so then what ends up happening is we start fighting over spots in the church where our gifts can be used. We start trying to carve out spots where our gift can be used, and we start to defend that and fight for that. Because if I don't have that, do I have any value and worth in the church? Do I matter in the church if I can't use my gifts in these ways? Like, what happens if I lose that? What does that say about me? Or, as I said earlier, if there's no opportunity there, we sort of just sit on our hands, and we're never willing to risk and step out into something that's outside our strength. Why? Because if I fail, man, if I fail, what does that say about me? What does it say that about my value and my worth in the church? And so we will begin to build our identities around our value and our worth based on our gifting and accomplishment and recognition. Or even more, and this probably happens more regularly, we start measuring our maturity based on things like Bible knowledge, theological knowledge and theological depth, how much we serve, how much money we give, like how much we pray. Like we start basing our maturity around those activities. Are those things important? Absolutely. Are they essential? Absolutely. But what does Paul say? If we have those things without love, we are not mature. Period. Love is what matters. Love is what brings maturity. Love is what brings power to any of this. Yes, let us pursue gifts, but even more, let's pursue love. And then as a church overall, here's what can happen. We can start to measure our maturity as a church based on ministry success and size. You think, man, if we're successful in these things, if we're a particular size, then we are mature. Or we start to base it on certain performance. If we can have the best preaching and the best music and the best uh, kids and youth ministry, if we can have the most healthy and best small groups, if we can give tons and tons of money away to church planting and support community outreach in our city, if we can do all of that, man, then we are mature. Or how about this one? If we get all the gifts operating, then we're spirit-filled. And if all the gifts are operating, then we're mature, then we're spirit-filled. But here's what God's word would say to us. If we have the greatest preaching and the greatest worship music in the country, in the world, and we don't have love, we are nothing. We could have the deepest theology, the most insightful Bible studies. Like we could have a kids and youth ministry that our kids love and want to go to and parents trust. We don't have love. We are nothing. Like we could have gospel communities that multiply left and right and get so big and they're just popping up all over our city. We could give millions and millions and millions away to church planting. 
We could give so much to community outreach and support the the broken and the poor and needy in our city, but if we don't have love, guess what, church? We are nothing. We could have all the gifts, all the gifts. If we don't have love, guess what? We are not spirit-filled. Does the diversity of gifts matter? Absolutely, absolutely. Do we want excellence in what we do? Absolutely, we should never apologize for excellence in ministry because that is stewardship. But more than that, more than diversity, more than excellence, would we be known by our love? And so, yes, First City Church, like, look, I want us to be known as a church that's faithfully, that faithfully preaches the gospel, faithfully preaches God's word. I want us to be known for that faithful preaching. I want us to be known for having God-glorifying, beautiful music. I want us to be known for having healthy small groups that multiply the mission of God. I want to be known as a church that is generous with church planting, giving away so much and helping church planting happen. I want us to be known as a church that is generous in supporting the needs of people in our community. But even more, may we be known as a church that loves one another and loves people. Yes, diversity of gifts, and let's pray for that. Let's pursue that. But more than that, let's pursue love. May our love always outpace our gifting. May our love always outpace our gifting. And so, yes, ask the question, God, how can I be used? How can you use my gifts, Lord? How can I step into needs and opportunities and exercise the ways that you have gifted me? Ask that question. Be active. But even more, ask this question, how can I love my brothers and sisters? How are you calling me to grow in my love for others? How are you calling me to step into those hard and messy places to love other people? Pursue gifts, but even more, pursue love, church. Because this pursuit of love, to be motivated by love, to to exercise our gifts in love, this is who our God is. This is who our Savior is. This is what it means to be transformed and be like Jesus. Remember, we, we, we talked a few weeks ago about how in Ephesians 4, Paul points to this, this truth that the gifts are, Jesus pouring out the gifts and giving the gifts through the Spirit is like a king who has come back from a great victory and lavishing his people with the spoils of war. Jesus has poured out these gifts on us, and it's tremendous. Thank you. He's a generous king. Thank you, Lord, for giving us these wonderful gifts. But even greater than the gifts Jesus gives is the love that he has shown us. Even greater than the gifts that we get to experience and exercise is the love that we have experienced and are transformed by. I mean, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who created all language, all language, both earthly and heavenly And in love, Jesus came to us and spoke wonderful words of love and truth and freedom. And Jesus is the one who is the center and source of all prophecy. He's the center and source of all knowledge and all wisdom and all mysteries. And what did he do? In love, he came and he revealed to us the greatest mystery of God's loving, majestic, wonderful plan of salvation and redemption and renewal through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. And Jesus is the one who, in love for you and me, left the riches and glories of heaven and stepped into our sin-cursed, broken world 
got in the mud and the dirt with us to bring hope and healing. And Jesus is the one who, in love for us, laid down his life on a cruel Roman cross to be the penalty and the payment for our sin. But he didn't just die, right? (laughs) He didn't just die. On the third day, he was raised again in victory over sin and evil and death. He ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God. And in love, he has poured out his spirit on the church so that we could experience the fullness of God. Listen, your salvation, your transformed life, your gifting, your hope, your joy, your eternal life from here into eternity, that is the power of God's love in your life. You see, love is the power that transforms. Love is the power that makes all things new. We are who we are in Christ because God is a God of love. And the power in the church is our love. How will the world know we are Christians? Because we speak in tongues. Because we prophesy. Because we have the gift of healing and preaching and teaching. No, by our love. That's how the world knows. That's the power of the Spirit in our lives, our love for one another. And so, yes, pursue gifts, but even more pursue love. So let me just say this in conclusion, church. Our call here, our move here, in light of what the Savior did for us, in light of who our God is, our call is to repent of our selfishness and our self-pity. To turn from the ways that we have made gifts about us in life in the church about us. Turning from that and turning to this life of love found through Jesus Christ. And perhaps you recognize you've been selfish with your gifts. Perhaps you recognize that you live in a place of either self-pity or self-sufficiency. Or maybe you're here this morning and you recognize, I don't know the love of Christ at all. I've never turned from my sin and experienced the grace of Christ at all. Hey, wherever you are this morning, be honest about it. Be honest. There's safety here. There's grace here. Be honest. But don't just be honest. God is calling you this morning to confess that and repent of that and turn from that to the love of God through Jesus Christ because it's the love of God that sets you free. It's the love of God that sets you free from your sin and fills your heart with love for other people. It's the love of God that sets you free from self-pity and self-sufficiency and fills your heart with love for other people. And so turn away from your sin, turn away from self, turn to the love of God, experience his forgiveness, his renewal, his transforming power in your life and be filled with the spirit and be filled with love for other people. That's the call on our life, church. And so in light of that, light of that. Let us pursue the gifts. Let us look for opportunities. Let us step into needs. Let us use the way God has gifted us now. Let us trust him to gift us in ways we haven't been gifted yet. Let's pursue all those gifts, but even more, let's pursue love. Let's pray.